Hey, good morning. It's good to see you all and to be with you all. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, just a little bit about redemption. We are one church, and we have multiple congregations. Uh, we believe that all of life is all for Jesus, and therefore we seek to make disciples in response to that truth. Now, we make disciples in three big buckets. One is in Sunday services, where we sing of God's Word and we hear God's teaching. Uh, the second way is in classes, where we continue to train and equip uh, men and women. And the third is in redemption communities, which are a smaller gathering of people who meet in various places and various times throughout the valley to encourage one another in doing life in response to the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the things I want to just put before you guys is, uh, first, is we do have redemption classes coming up this Wednesday. Uh, so this Wednesday, 6.30 to 8 p.m., and the title for the class, or the topic of the class is Women in the Marketplace. Uh, Sandy Schrader uh, will be here teaching that class uh, for looking at women in the Bible and seeing how women have been able to exceed and excel um, with their gifts and talents to be able to submit to the Lord and honor God in all that they do. So again, Women in the Marketplace, this Wednesday, 6.30 to 8 p.m., um, if this is something that you want to be a part of and you, you need child care um, or you just want to take the class so you don't need child care, I would sign up online at redemptionaz.com or you can go to the Connect Desk on the way back there, um, the way, on your way out, and fill out your name and email address. We'll make sure that you can be a part of that class. Uh, secondly, not this Wednesday coming up, but the Wednesday after, so two weeks from now, we will have First Wednesdays. Uh, one of the things that we do with First Wednesdays a couple times a year is we have an art gallery where we're able to look at and to... Somebody's got to get their kid. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we, have, we have to look, we get a chance to look at and see the, the artists and the work of the artists within our community. And so it's a lot of fun. Um, unfortunately, uh, for these particular First Wednesdays, we, we get the least people to show up. And so I want, I'm encouraging you to come to celebrate, see, respond, react uh, to the art that you'll be able to see. Now, with that, the topic is, is uh, family. And so the art ex exhibition is on family. And so we're going to hear from people with spoken word, with poems and paintings. However, uh, David Blakeman, who leads us in worship, uh, Blakeman, Blakeman says we need more people. And so if you're, you're, if you're out there and you say, hey, I have a painting that I would want to contribute or I have a song, um, if I have, I have a writing or whatever particular art you have and you want to be able to contribute to that, we would love that. Or if you say the topic is family, there's certain family pictures that, that I want to put in there here. There's something we've made as a family, whether it be a blanket or a quilt that means a lot to my family. We want to be able to display that. And so after the service, he'll be here in the front. And so if that's something you want to be a part of or you just want more information on it, you could talk to Blakeman um, after the service. Last announcement. We begin Holy Week. So today is Palm Sunday. Uh, we remember in which Jesus rode in the town and everyone was screaming, Hosanna, right? Save us, save us. And Jesus has become and is our Savior, our rock and our Redeemer. And so now, um, starting tomorrow all the way to Sunday, we are in Holy Week where Christians over the past 2,000 years have remembered and celebrated the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus, which is central to our faith. Um, so I want to give you some service times for our Good Friday service as well as Easter. So Good Friday, we have one service, 6 p.m. There will be child care from 18 months to three years old. Um, we felt like that is children that should be in child care, um, that particular age, and all the other kids, we would, we would welcome them to be here with us worshiping together. Again, 6 p.m., one service for Good Friday service. Uh, it'll be about an hour long. For Easter, we will have our normal morning service, 9 a.m. and 1045, but we are also having a 7 a.m. service. 
So if you were here last week, I told you we're really asking for you all to go to the 7 a.m. Um, 9 a.m. and 10.45 will be jam-packed. We want the room, and um, just as important as the room, there's a bet on it for, for me to win a free lunch. And so we need you to go to the 7 o'clock. If we can get 200 people to show, there, to show up there, that would be great. Your pastors, myself included, will be handing out donuts to you, thanking you for getting up earlier than most of you have ever gotten up in your life. Um, not so much this hour. I must say that definitely at the 7 a.m., the 7 a.m. has never, excuse me, the 7 p.m. The 7 p.m. doesn't even know the 7 a.m. exists in this world. And so we need you guys to try to, as hard as you can to be at the 7 a.m. If not, we'll see you guys at 9 a.m. and 1045. We'll make space for you guys. So again, Good Friday, 6 p.m., uh, Easter, 1045. Good. Done with announcements. You guys take your Bibles and meet me in Habakkuk chapter 3. We are going to wrap up this series, Habakkuk chapter 3, last chapter of this minor prophet, um, if you guys don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised high, um, and then someone will be able to give you a copy of God's Word. Um, Habakkuk is not a very familiar text, and so if you have the Bible that we're giving you, you're on page 510. That'll get you at Habakkuk chapter 3. Um, again, 510, the Bible that we're giving you. If you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we give you so that you can have a copy of God's Word to read and to study. Um, that we may be able to grow in the, in the ways of the Lord. So again, Habakkuk chapter 3, week 1, Tyler Johnson came and he opened up the week for us. Uh, week 2, last week, Jim Mullins came and he taught on chapter 2. And then I get the opportunity to teach, my opinion, probably the best chapter in Habakkuk chapter 3. Um, where Habakkuk begins to now respond to the words of God and to the work of God. Um, and he ends with one of the most famous passages um, in the Bible, passages that many Christians love, and saying, Lord, no matter what the circumstance may be, I will trust in you. And so today's message, Habakkuk chapter 3, in fact, all of Habakkuk is not necessarily a message for people when, when things are going great. This is a real, honest uh, message from this prophet about when life is terrible and it's not getting any better. So there's no room for Christian cliche um, when, when, when Habakkuk writes. He writes um, to people who are struggling and suffering and injustice and pain um, and, and anything that, that your life seems to be turned upside down, that the question that comes up is, can God be trusted? I think Habakkuk gives us that answer in chapter 3. But before we get into his word, um, let's, uh, let's bow our heads and ask God to bless our time to illuminate his word. Father, we thank you so much that your word is unbelievably honest. And Father, I don't know the stories of, of everyone who's coming into this room today to hear from you, but God, we believe you have a word. Your spirit moves and your spirit, your spirit speaks. And so God, we want to cling to that. Um, that you would be preparing us, Father, for those of us who are not in a moment of suffering of how to respond to you and to know that you can be trusted. And then for those who, whether it be through marriage, whether it be through family, whether it be finances, who find themselves in a position where their world seems turned upside down and they don't know where to look, that, Father, that you would show that you are their God and you are the God to people, Father, who are in need and who acknowledge their, their position and their standing before you. So God, reveal to us your grace, your mercy, your justice, your power, your wrath, and your love um, through these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, w one of the things that we've been able to do uh, every other Friday, me and my, my boys, is we can go to the public library in Tempe, which is amazing. Because if you go to the library here, you can check out 50 books. 
uh, for a long period of time. At first, tragically, I was afraid because I knew I had a library card um, years ago when I was in college, and I thought, I'm sure I never turned those books in, so if I go to apply for another library card, they're going to be like, Pastor, you know, you don't have, you know, your books are out. And so, kind of nervous, but got, was able to get the library card for the boys can check out books. My oldest son now is into comic books which is, I never was into comic books, but he loves them. He loves reading these little comic books about Batman and Superman and all the other men that fly around in their underwear. He loves that stuff, right? And, and, and part of it is he reads these stories or I read these stories to him, and what he wants to know, he has two questions. Is this guy a good guy or is he a bad guy? Like, is this a good guy or is he a bad guy? And, and usually the good guy, he's known for being good because he saves people or he makes people safe and he does good things and he doesn't allow bad things to happen. And, and then the bad guy, he's bad because he does bad things and he, all, he always wants bad things to happen. And so there's this kind of separation. Um, I think uh, many of us have this type of um, comic book theology when it comes to, to knowing God. And the way that we interpret the character of God. We, we, we say God is either good or he's either bad because if he's good, that means he's only going to allow good things to happen. He's not going to allow bad things to happen. And, and you, you see it. When you talk to people, or you hear it when you talk to people, hey, do you believe God is good? Can he be trusted? No, no. Why? You know what? I I walked with Jesus, or I went to church, I went to a camp, and you know what? My mom died. What type of God would allow that to happen? Hey, I married a Christian, and we were doing the church thing and everything, and then my wife walked out on me. Like, what type of God would allow that? Allowed my, my baby to die. Allowed my sister to get sick. Huh? Like th- th- this is, and so because we have that, that if God is good, he will not allow bad things to happen. However, when we read the Bible, that's not the character of God in the Bible. That God is good, and yet he seemingly allows um, terrible things to happen. And, and so you've heard it before. Either God is all-powerful, but he doesn't care because he allows these things to happen. Or he's loving and he's caring, but he's not powerful because he's not doing anything about it. I think what Habakkuk gives us through this whole letter or through this whole writing is he gives us a window into redemption that pulls it all together. That he's not like the superhero who's just playing it safe. And he's definitely not the bad guy who's out for bad for us. But he's a good God. But his means and his ways are not our ways. They're not our thoughts because he's not like us. He is God. He is above us. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. But what we'll see is he is caring and he's doing work. And part of his redeeming work is showing forth his character in the work and through the work most supremely in his son Jesus. So just to recap, chapter 1, Habakkuk cries out to God. And he's talking to God somewhat arrogantly. And he's saying, God, what's going on? Um, Habakkuk's a, a man of God. He's, he's living out God's ways. And he says, what's going on? I see the people around me, and they're wicked. They're unrighteous. Your people, uh, right? God's people. And he looks at God, and he goes, why do you make me see this iniquity? Um, does your law not matter? Essentially, what he's saying is, God, are you going to do something about this or what? And then God responds, and he goes, okay, Habakkuk. He goes, guess what? I'm about to do something that you wouldn't even believe. Check this out. This is my language. Um, He says, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, and they're going to come, and they're going to execute judgment, my judgment, on on these people. Like, I'm going to allow them. They're pretty wicked to come, and that's how I'm going to deal with my people. And then back he goes, whoa, never mind. Wait, 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 wait. They're more wicked than we are. And then God begins to pronounce what's going to happen, and God says, listen, I know that, and they're going to get theirs too. 
and he pronounces those woes. And that's where Jim ended last week, the woes against the Babylonians. So now Habakkuk takes a step back, and I think something's changed in him. His posture has changed. I think there's some maturity that has happened. He goes, okay, God, you were God. You redeem. It's not the way that I would do it, but I trust in you. And then he writes a song. In fact, chapter 3 here, verse 1, it says, The prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to, to Shaginus. Um, that word there, it literally means a song. So every single word that you see in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, it's Habakkuk writing a song so that men and women in his day, in his time, primarily during the exile, because what's about to happen is the Babylonians about to come in, and they're about to rip God's people away, murder some, and then take them to Babylonia, right? Uh, to Babylon. And that's where we have people like Shadrach, Meshach, the Bendigo, and Daniel. This is just before that. Um, God has let them know, here's what's happening, and he writes a song, a rather awkward, weird song, but he writes a song. Um, he, he, here's, here's what he says first. It's a prayer. Verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, on the, ho- the Holy One from Mount Paran. Here, here's what he's saying. There's a prayer. Um, the prayer is to God. He says, God, I want, I've heard of you. I mean, I've heard of your ways. I've heard of your acts. I've heard of your character. Remember, the question that he's answering is, can God be trusted? Not just when circumstances are going well, when circumstances are at their worst, can he be trusted? And he says, God, it's bad. And I've heard of your ways. I've heard of your character. I've heard of your work. And when he says work there, he's talking about the work that God has done in his people, through his people. And he says, revive it, meaning do it again. What Habakkuk is doing is he's reaching back into history, and he's about to retell the story um, of salvation in the Old Testament. That is the story of the Exodus and how God redeemed his people and he brought them into the promised land. How God showed forth his mercy and his justice and his wrath and his power and his love and his grace. And so we see him writing this song, and first he starts with a prayer uh, on behalf of God's character. Again, Habakkuk is giving us a window of redemption once he pulls it all together to answer the question for us, can God be trusted? And here's how the rest of the song goes. Second part of verse 3. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and a plague followed at his heels. Okay, so far right now you're going, this is an interesting song, right? There's pestilence and there's plague. Can you imagine if David came to me and said, hey, I got this song today, man. It's going to be legit. And you guys came in and it was like, Lord, pestilence and praise. We loved you for that. Bring more plagues. Praise him, right? That's just awkward in so many different ways. But let me just continue to read this because he's speaking poetically and a lot of metaphors. And then I'll explain to you what he's saying. But again, it's a song. It says, he stood before and he measured the earth, and he looked and he shook the nations. The eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your your anger against the rivers? Your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheaf from the bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you, and they they writhed, and the raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted up its hands on high. 
The sun and the moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows, as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for salvation for your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with its own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of your mighty waters. He's talking and retelling the story of what would be known to them as an Old Testament prophet, the good news, the story of salvation. Um, What what you have here, this, this reads like a psalm, because it is. It's a psalm that comes from one of the prophets. Um, whenever you see in the psalms, you see that word there, uh, Saleh, it's, it's S-E-L-A-H. Um, people really, really are not exactly sure what that means, but most likely um, in singing, it's a moment to stop, pause, and reflect on what is being said. And, and so as the Israelites would have sang this song, um, they would have understood it. They would have understood what it was that Habakkuk was talking about. The Habakkuk was talking about the character of God, um, and by talking about the character of God, not just retelling the facts, but telling the story so we can understand the person and the work of God. And he wanted them to pause and reflect upon it. And so here's what he's saying. He starts off by saying, it was you, God. You created it. You had a promise to Abraham. After man sinned, you, you, you called a man named Abraham and said you were going to do something with the people. You grew that people. However, that people, they found themselves in slavery in the land of Egypt. And you heard their cries, and you raised up a man, a mediator named Moses, who would go in on your behalf. And now this is the story of the Exodus, in which God's going to free his people. And, and if, you don't, if you're not familiar with the story of the Exodus, um, one, we're going to talk about it on a Good Friday. Two, this week, it's going to be on television. And you're going to see it's an old movie, Charles Hessens, Let My People Go, over and over and over again. You can watch it. But, but the story that we have here is how God came and redeemed his people. It's acts of grace. And so we see God himself hears the prayers of his people, and he begins to work through a mediator, showing forth his power. And so God brought down plagues, several plagues, ten plagues. There was gnats, and there was frogs. And finally, finally, he struck down the firstborn because Pharaoh would not let God's people go. He was unjust, and God punished his injustice. He showed forth his power. And then Moses took the people, and he led them, and then they came to the Red Sea. And you hear um, here in verse 8, and it says, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers and your indignation against the sea? It's a rhetorical question. Like, no, you were doing something. At the Red Sea, God parted it in order that God, it was a, it was a way of salvation, that God's people would be able to flee um, from, from their captors. They'd be able to be free and, and, and walk through Walk through, the, two million people walk through the river, untouched by the sea, untouched by the water. However, when Pharaoh's people came, the waters collapsed on them. So one was a means of grace in which God would provide. Another was his justice and his wrath. And, 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 and as Habakkuk writes this, he's continuing to remind the people of their great God and their character. And so they came through the wilderness and they complained and complained and complained. And yet God in his grace, he continued to provide and then after Moses was dead, he raised up another leader named Joshua. And it continues to say, now you, Joshua brought the people into the promised land, and they were supposed to fight. Um, God knew that the wrath had, um, his wrath had reached its limit for the people that were in the land, the promised land, the Canaanites. And he says now God was going to use his people, the Israelites, to fight. But here was, here's the problem. They didn't know how to fight. 
right? Like Joshua gets there. They get to Jericho, and Joshua's like, hey, any of you guys ever been in a fight before? And it's like, no, I got a trumpet, though, right? Like they, all they can do is dance. They're like, we're going to dug our way through this mug, right? And we're, we're going to figure it out. And God goes, here's what I want you to do. You guys can't fight. It's clear. Um, but you can dance. And so what I want you to do is sing and dance in a circle, and then the walls are going to come down. Now, that had nothing to do with their ability or inability to dance. It had everything to do with God's grace, everything to do with God's grace. And God fought for them. God went before them again and again and again. You see God's power. That's what Habakkuk is talking about here. And then not only his power, right? You see his wrath, that those who fail to ever believe in him, those who fail to acknowledge him, those who are unjust, that God punished them, that there, there was judgment, there was wrath. And so as this story was told, and as this story was a, was a song was that people were singing, it was reminding them of God's character, who God is and what God is like. It wasn't so much talking about God's people, but it was, it was, it was bent on God. So it tells us the story of God's power and how he showed his power against the mighty. Pharaoh was mighty, but God was more powerful. The Canaanites were mighty, but God was more powerful. Not only just his power, but it showed his wrath and his justice, that when he sees injustice and people that are unjust, that he does bring wrath, and he punishes it, and that he destroys it, and he annihilates it, because he's God, and he doesn't put up with that. But we also see his mercy. And what I mean by that is, just in the same way that God punished and annihilated the Canaanites and even the Egyptian soldiers there, it wasn't that God's people were perfect. It wasn't that God's people were, were not without sin or, or um, not unjust themselves. Um, so mercy, that, that word, that beautiful word, it means not getting what we deserve. That God showed forth his mercy. Um, when he prayed here, Habakkuk in verse 2, the second part, he says, In the midst of the years, make it known, in wrath, remember mercy. I mean, remember that said love, that covenantal love, meaning do something for us and in us, not because of us. Because we know what we deserve. We understand, like, like chapter one, we know that the people of God are wicked. We look at the story of the Exodus and the people of God, they're just as wicked as the other people. And yet God shows forth mercy because of his covenantal love. And he says, in wrath, remember mercy, that he doesn't destroy the Israelites. And the reason why he doesn't destroy them, because every, all of this, his power, his wrath, his justice, his mercy, and his love can all be seen in his grace. We, we see this is an act of sovereign grace, meaning God was in control of this story of redeeming God's people and has always been in control of redeeming God's people. That when the people of God went one way, it wasn't that God made up another plan to say, now I'm going to recalculate and, and have a new plan. No. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, when Abraham sinned against God, when Moses sinned against God, when you and I sinned against God, God does not change his plan. But because of his love that is set upon us, he continues to redeem. He's sovereign, but he's also gracious. And the reason why he chose these people the, the people of God, the reason why he sets his love upon us has nothing to do with our ability, has nothing to do with what we can do for God, has nothing to do with how strong we can pray or how big of faith we have. One of my famous passages, or excuse me, my favorite scriptures um, in the whole Bible is in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 7, verse 8 and 9. Here's what he says in talking about why he chose them, how he shows forth his love. Chapter 7 Verse 7, it says, it was, not because of you, it was not because of you you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love 
and chose you. When it says set his love on you and chose you, that, that's not just I, I picked you. It's not like a choice that like, hey, I want you to be on my team, but it's affection. It's I'm going to do whatever it takes for this relationship to continue. And when God says that, we know it's going to happen. And he says, it wasn't because you were more in number or in strength that I set my affection on you, that I set my love on you. He continues here, and the next few words are just amazing. He says that I chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. Verse 8, but it was because the Lord loves you. That's it. Like, what Habakkuk is appealing to in this story of God's sovereign grace, when he repeats the facts of salvation, it comes down to this. It was not because of you. It was because God loves you. And he loves you because he loves you. One of the things that I tried to do to implement this scripture and this, this, this teaching in my, my kid's life, not just to have them memorize this scripture, but to know it. And so what I'll do is with my son, the oldest son, the youngest one doesn't understand what I say yet, but the oldest one, um, I'll say, hey, buddy, I'm really proud of you. And we'll start that. And, and I'll say, do you know why I'm proud of you? And at first he would start off because he did something good, because, you know, because I'm your son, you know, just something like, because I did good, right? When usually he didn't, <laughs> you know? So it's like, no. And I said, I'm proud of you because I love you. And I said, do you know why I love you? And he goes, go back to, because I, I did something good. It's like, no, you'll get it. So now he has it. I say, I'm proud of you. Do you know why? He'll say, because I love you. Do you know why I love you? And he'll say, because you love me. That's it. I, I, want, I want my kids to know the way that God treats me. Um, does God have boundaries and God have rules for us? Absolutely. But we are center set on his love. And that he loves me because he loves me. Not because of anything that I've done good or bad. He just loves me. And when we understand that at the heart of it, in the midst of the worst circumstances, that's what we need. Habakkuk doesn't say, hey, God's going to make everything good. No. He says God is good. Habakkuk doesn't say, hey, just hold on. The Babylonians are going to come, but um, it's not going to be that bad. No, it's going to be that bad. So what he tries to shape the people of God with and what all the people of God should be shaped with is that there is a compassionate a zeal, and a love of God for his people. And what you need most is to know that God loves you. And in your worst moment, in your worst circumstances, you need to see that God is good and he has set his affection and love on you. That you are not necessarily going through something because God is mad at you, he's angry at you, he's trying to get you. Now, he does discipline, but even in his discipline, it's because he loves you. And so Habakkuk is trying to get us to understand that. He's trying to get his people to understand in the midst of this, we have a God who can be trusted because of what he's done. Now watch Habakkuk's response here in verse 16 after telling this story. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Here's the context. Habakkuk says, I know it's, it's, it's over for us. Like this whole Jerusalem thing, it's over. This story we just told about God's great acts and how he got us into this promised land, um, he did say that if we continue to disobey him, that, he would, that he'd take us out. And it's what's going to happen. But he also knows this. The same God who says that he loves them is the same God that's going to use this judgment um, from the Babylonians on them to purify them that they would be able to walk with Jesus. They'd be able to walk closer to the Lord. But he knows in this moment, there's no saving it. And, and if you want to know how bad it's going to get, read the book of Lamentations. It is the, one of the saddest books in the Bible. 
You got people eating their kids, um, murder, injustice. The Babylonians are coming and ransacking, and that's when Jeremiah sits on a hill and he looks at Jerusalem and he weeps, he laments, and he writes that book. And so by, by no means right now with Habakkuk going, oh, I just shared the gospel with myself and I'm happy. No, not at all. He's trembling. He says, my lips quiver. Um, when he says here about his, my body trembles, that the word body there is belly. If you've ever had that moment where you picked up that phone call, um, um, you've, you've heard that knock on the door, or you've, you've heard that news, whatever that bad news may be, and you're sick to your stomach, you can't eat, that's the picture that Habakkuk is trying to explain here. He's saying, listen, when I heard this, even though I knew who God was, and I know that he's good, it, it hurt me, and I'm afraid. You know, you know, sometimes we, we, we don't let Christians, we don't let people be honest. That somehow just we, we just believe in God, it's going to be okay. Okay, that means I should be okay. You should be okay with it because you're a Christian. Darn it, right? No, it is okay to weep. It's okay not to be okay. There's no way that as a mother hears a child, uh, uh, goes in to check her baby and her baby's not living. If, if a man knows his wife is leaving him, um, or you know someone who you love is, is, is may not make it or have, is gone, there's no way you can't weep. And there's nowhere in the Bible that says that you shouldn't. And, and as Habakkuk has showed us, there, there is a picture that even though you understand the weight of God, that even though he's good, that you come undone, that you can come unraveled. Habakkuk is here going, I know who God is, and because I know who God is, I'm trembling. I think what we see in verse 16 is a mature man of God, that he has a right perspective on who God is. Um, he understands that God is not like the superhero, that his whole role is to walk around making sure people are safe. He, he's not like the comic book, that it's just God against evil, and, and he's going to do whatever he can to make you safe. Nowhere in the Bible does, does, that, that it teaches us about a God who says he's good so that he, his, his goodness is shown in making you safe. He promises to make things right. But in the meantime, what the gospel gives us, what good news gives us, what the gospel of grace lets us know is um, while we live in this world, we have the promise to know that one day God will make it better. But at the same time, it's not good right now. It's not the best that it will be now. And so there are moments where we, we tremble. Because God is not just moving just to make us safe. One of the best pictures of this, and, and I've used it, and I'm going to use it a thousand times, because it's not, it's not said anywhere better than, than in C.S. Lewis's book, The Chronicles of Narnia, right? When there, there's, there's little Lucy, and Lucy is talking, and she goes, I'm going to meet Aslan. Now, I'm, I'm kind of afraid, because I've never really met a lion before. Um, should I be afraid? And then Mrs. Beaver's like, oh, yeah. If anybody meets Aslan, who's the lion, um, without their knees trembling, they're either braver than most or just quite silly. And then, she, then Lucy says, okay, so he's not safe? And then Mr. Beaver jumps in, safe? <laughs> Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is telling you? Of course he's not safe. He's good, but he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I'll tell you. That's the best picture that you can hear about God. That um, when Noah says, is he a good guy or a bad guy, God completely shatters that. He's good, but his role is not just to make us safe. God is in the business of redeeming. God is in the business of restoring. And sometimes redeeming and sometimes restoring means that there will be pain. 
And so Habakkuk can come to this conclusion um, after singing this song and, and while singing this song and telling the great acts of salvation of who God is and his power and his justice and his wrath and his mercy and his love and his grace, that he can understand who God is because he realizes he's good but he's not safe. You see, here's a, here's a problem when it comes to us, when it comes to grace. We are allergic to grace. As people, as a culture, we don't want it. It's undeserved. And the reason why is, on one hand, the reason why we don't like grace is because grace means that it was not up to us, that God did something um, completely out of his love. And, when, and therefore, we lose control. <laughs> we lose control. And if God did it on his own uh, and by himself, Because of his own love for us, and we lose control, that means he can allow anything to happen in our life in order for us to be redeemed. And that's scary. And it makes us feel very insecure. But the beauty of grace is, once you begin to rely on this God, and once you begin to trust in grace, as you realize you never had control to begin with, but you do trust in, and you know that the one who does have control always has your best intentions from his perspective. Oftentimes, we have our best intentions from our perspective, and it's not good enough. But a good God always has your best intentions from his perspective, and his perspective is he sees the end story. He sees the beginning, the middle, and the end, and he knows what he's doing. And so Habakkuk answers that question, can God be trusted? Absolutely. He can say God can be trusted because like any person that you would know, you trust that person because of what they have done before. The reason why he retells this story for him, the good news of salvation in the Old Testament, is because he can see what God has done, who God is, and what type of God it is that he serves. And he can trust him in the, in the midst of his darkest hour that he can trust in God. You say, well, what about us? That's good for Habakkuk. What about us? I would say for us, we have it even better. Habakkuk was able to tell the story of the Exodus and how God moved his people from slavery into the promised land, but we have the true and better Exodus. Habakkuk could be a young Hebrew prophet who speaks to his people in the midst of injustice, and he himself was righteous. But we have have something better than that, because years later, years later, we would have another prophet, another Hebrew prophet who would come. And like Habakkuk, he would tremble at the thought of injustice, at the thought of God's wrath. But this prophet who would come would be none other than God himself and his son Jesus. And when we see Jesus in the garden, what is he doing? He's trembling. He's praying. He, he, he knows what's about to happen. He knows injustice. He's about to suffer in an unjust way. He knows that he's about to go to the cross, and he prays to the Father, Father, if there's any other way, can you take this cup away from me? In essence, if there's any other way in order for us to have a people that we will be with for all eternity to enjoy, if there's any other way um, for me not to drink this wrath, take it away. In the same way that Habakkuk in chapter 1 and chapter 2, that he, he, he cries out to God, but God does not give him explicit answers or the answers that he wants, Jesus walks away from that garden not getting an answer. And that's not the only time that we see Jesus praying and then get an answer. On the cross, when Jesus himself is taking upon God's wrath for all the injustices of this world, he says, Father, Father, why art thou forsake me? And he does not get an answer. And yet he completes the greatest salvation story of the world. That on the cross, we often talk about how we see God's love. And it's nothing less than that. We do see God's love in Christ on the cross for us. But more than just seeing God's love, we're given his love. In moments 
where you get that phone call, in moments where your marriage is just coming apart, where you physically, emotionally, and spiritually are coming un- just undone, that you're just unraveling, you don't just need a picture of God's love. You need, you need God's love. You need to know that God can be trusted. And the reason why we can know that God, is, that we, God can be trusted is because he didn't withhold his son, his only son, the one in whom he loved that Jesus himself shows for us on the cross and gives us on the cross, that our God, the God of the Bible, unlike any other religion, unlike any other philosophy, unlike any other system, is a God who enters into suffering, suffering, who doesn't only suffer for us, for our, the penalty of our sin, but he suffers with, with us. So he can empathize with us. He knows what's going on. No other God can do that. And God does that to supremely show us that he's chosen us because he loves us and he set his affection on us in his son Jesus. Amen? When, when we believe in the gospel, the ultimate story, the true exodus, in which God himself is redeeming us from the slavery of sin and from the lives of this world, we can respond in the same way that Habakkuk begins to respond. We can trust that our God is one who acts graciously. This is how the apostle Paul says it in chapter 8 of Romans. He says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up to us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so what, what we have now in Christ and response to the gospel, we get to the sweetest moment of Habakkuk. And the only way we can get to this moment and say what Habakkuk says is by trusting in Jesus. Here's what he says in verse 17. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Here's the picture that he's painting. He, he gets to the gospel, right? And he does not say, wow, things are going to be great now. Like I said, no, that's what we do. It's not healthy all the time. Um, I, I love it that people want to say good news. And trust me, God does heal when he does redeem. But there's moments where we pray for the sick kid, and the kid is okay. And there's moments where we pray for the sick kid, and he dies. There's moments where we pray for marriages, and they're reconciled. And there's moments where we pray even harder, and they split up. Um, what Habakkuk is saying is when it goes bad, here's what you need. And so I don't know where you are right now. Maybe you're in it where it's really bad and you're saying, this is a message for me. And and, and some of us, it may be a message for us to come alongside them. But for all of us, this is the message that we need to have because it's coming. It's coming. The picture that Habakkuk paints here is it's bad and it's getting worse. Like there's no fruit. And if there's no fruit, you don't have to have taken biology, plant biology at ASU to know. If there's no fruit, there's no seeds. If there's no seeds, there's going to not be any more fruit, right? We got that? We're there. Um, It's bad, and it's getting worse. Like, there's no animals in the stalls, right? If the animals are not there, they're not mating, and they don't have other animals, right? There's no meat. He's saying it's really bad, and it's getting worse, and we don't know where we're going to have food coming, where it's going to come from, God. But his response it's the greatest, one of the greatest responses in the Bible, only response to who God is. He says this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He says, I will, rejo- I will have joy in the Lord. He doesn't say my joy will come in circumstances. That would be happiness. Um, happiness is uh, when circumstances are good, um, when my wife says she loves me and my team wins, I'm happy. All right? Um, joy is when she says she's leaving me and my team loses, but I have God. 
that you can have joy in the midst of pain and of sorrow and of tears. You can't have happiness the way that we look at happiness in our culture. What Habakkuk is talking about is joy, because joy is not rooted in a circumstance. Joy is rooted in the person and work of God. Intuitively, in bad circumstances, we all want a person. A baby, a crying baby, wants a mother. A sick patient wants a doctor. Because that mother has been faithful before to provide. That doctor is known to be able to heal or fix. But what we ultimately want is God. Because in what we have in the Bible, historically, is the personal work of God and how he shows himself to be faithful again and again and again. And ultimately, the most faithful is by looking to Jesus on the cross. So we can rejoice in our God and the God of salvation. And Habakkuk closes all this up in verse 19. And he says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. The picture there of the strength um, is, is a beautiful picture. It's in the midst of your hardest time. You're weeping, you're crying, you're laying on the floor, you're, you're hitting the steering wheel, all things that you, you do. That you don't have the ability. You know, yeah, I don't have the ability to get through this. That's the best place you can get to. You know, we, we can't just throw trite Christian verses on people. Um, and I'm not saying that God's word is, is not infallible and perfect. It is. But when it's just said at the wrong moment, it's hard. I'm watching my sister in this, in this hospital, and I'm talking to her, and, and she'll tell you the thing that I don't like to hear is when people come in and go, hey, you know what? God has a purpose for this, and he's going to do something. It's like, yeah, it's easy for you to say you can move all your limbs. And we love quoting Romans 8.28. Hey, you know, God's doing something here. I, I get it. Sometimes we don't, have, we don't have the strength to get through it. We don't have the strength to get through it when it's us, when it's someone we love. But what Habakkuk says here is you don't have to have it. But God becomes your strength. The Hebrew language behind there is that God gives you the ability that you did not have. To get to, not just to get through moments, but within the moment. That he never leaves you nor forsakes you. And so as we wrap up and walk away from this beautiful, beautiful letter, there's three things easily that we can walk away. Week one, we learn you can pray honest prayers. Habakkuk just talks to God, not because he doesn't know him, because he has a relationship with him. Whatever it is, you can pray honest prayers to the Lord. Week two, there is injustice, there is sin, and there's evil in this world, but God promises, promises to one day completely eradicate it. And we see him on the cross Jesus not just saving our souls, but showing forth what he's one day going to do to redeem this whole world. Pray on his prayers. God will get rid of injustice. And then lastly, number three, is that God is our strength. God is our strength. In the midst of your darkest moment, you repeat the gospel of what God has done, what God is doing, and who he is, and how he's worked it within history, and how he becomes your strength. Amen? Let's pray.